Okay, okay are we going to talk about PFAS now? PFAS. PFAS it up. Okay. It's been so long, I don't know how to start this again. Welcome to Tell You Later. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Tell You Later. Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Amy McIntosh, managing editor of Water Quality Products. I'm Warren Baltus, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Bob Crossan, Managing Editor of Water and Waste Digest. Welcome to this episode in April. 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 No. Is no. it? No. This is March. Wow. <laughs> it's the end of March. Close enough to April. Close. I've had I, I've had a month in the past week, yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. We have an announcement to make. So, Amy here. Um, <laughs> This will be my last episode of our podcast. Um, I'm going to be moving along to a, another publication within our um, parent company. I've been with our water group for the last six and a half years, um, working across all three publications, and I've been on WQP for the last two-ish years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm really sad to leave the water industry. And we're sad to see you gone. But I'm excited for this new opportunity. It's in the interior design market, so that's different. Um, but wastewater. I mean, almost <laughs> the same. Um, but yeah, it's been really fun to do this podcast with my dear friends Lauren and Bob. And um, yeah. yeah, we will so, certainly miss you yeah, in the water. Yeah, Amy group. will be missed, and. Her knowledge will be missed and her personality. Oh, guys, please. (laughs) So we're, um, maybe by the next episode, we'll have a new personality on here um, to fill Amy's role with water quality products. We'll see. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. So we really got to make this one a good one because it's (laughs) Amy's last episode. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but why don't we start with some news? Yeah. Um, so one of the news items that I wanted to bring this time um, was about Avoqua's Neptune Benson um, uh, product line. Um, they are going to provide filtration and disinfection treatment systems for U- the USA swimming team. Um, they're doing a full-on sponsorship of this um, through 2020, so they'll be a sponsor through the Olympics. Um, and they're actually going to be, all of their equipment and stuff is going to be used at the swimming pools for the Olympic team trials um, for swimming as well. So I, the reason I wanted to bring this is just because it seems like such a big platform to mm-hmm. get a like already well-known major name within the water industry out to more of a mainstream understanding of an audience. Um, I think it's just really cool, and I, I, I think that it's a great way to elevate the water industry in a way that showcases also like we have great technology and we know what we're doing um i don't know i just thought it was really cool and i think it's really cool that usa swimming is on board with it as well so that's one of the reasons why i wanted to bring it that's pretty cool yeah they're going to be doing um they're also going to provide support at the phillips 66 national championships the toyota u.s open and other major u.s swimming events beyond the olympic trials so it sounds to me like they're going to be have their equipment in a lot of different uh, yeah. facilities where the swimmers are. Um, one of the things that they mentioned in their press release is just um, 
how they feel. They're, they're, they're like, well, it's not not only is water important for like water is important for these swimmers. Sure, sure. like they're going to be in this pool for so much of the year, or in mo- multiple pools for so much of the year. So making sure the water is of high quality and isn't going to hurt them or di- damage their skin and all that kind of stuff. Like that's one thing. But then the other thing is just to, the noting that this this type of thing should be included in other pools too mm-hmm. in other commercial applications and people should be aware of what um, water quality can do for those who swim regularly so mm-hmm. it also impacts air quality too mm. oh yeah that's a good point mm-hmm. yeah especially like with with chlorine systems mm-hmm. and stuff like that that would yeah. certainly affect air quality Confined space yep well the that's also really cool because I mean one of the things that's great about the Olympics is that just bringing together the whole world I mean it's mm-hmm. it's I mean that sounds kind of corny but mm-hmm. it is a very very cool event it, yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just such a massive platform so it's just any way to be a part of that even in a small a very small way is mm-hmm. is pretty awesome mm-hmm. yeah yeah and if they can bring if they can bring this type of sponsorships like all the way to the next Olympics and actually have like stuff going on there too like that just elevates it even more it'd be really really yeah. cool and yeah. awesome for the industry um so yeah i i just thought thought it was like pretty i mean that's pretty big news for for such a, a large platform mm-hmm. especially with just like how prolific the usa swimming team has been on yes. on a global stage yeah. in the past what 15 years or so basically since michael phelps started swimming yeah <laughs> probably so yeah that's pretty awesome um anyway so um next up um there's been more so i was just saying to bob and amy i feel like this keeps happening where there's great there's been a new bill introduced (laughs) for water infrastructure and this just keeps happening and then it feels like not much action comes from it i mean there's been a lot of bills introduced or or um amendments to them that's been introduced but but we're hopeful (laughs) so um there's been new legislation introduced it's called the water quality protection and jobs creation act of 2019 and so that's supposed to be that's supposed to um, provide more funding for these clean water programs federal programs um and you know helping communities make sure that we can address their aging infrastructure and their water quality ch- challenges and make rates more affordable. And, um, it, you know, it's all these things that we've continued, we keep talking about is there's a huge need for this. And um, so this is pretty new. This has just been introduced. Um, it's bipartisan. Um, and I think that time will tell if anything comes of it. So... So we'll see. We're yeah. hopeful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's not that <laughs> much more to report on this other yeah. than it's been introduced. Yeah. Um, uh, I, and a lot of groups in the industry are supporting it. Yeah. Na- yeah. Naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Yep. Yep. Um, so then finally... Um, and this item is a nice segue into what I was going to talk about in this episode as well, but um, the University of Arizona researchers received um, a $1.2 million grant from the U.S. Department of Defense's Strategic Environmental Research and Development Program 
um, and they're working on developing a new class of sorbents that will help remove per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, also known as PFAS, um, from groundwater. Um, for those of you who might not be familiar with PFAS, it's definitely a big, it's a hot topic in the water quality market right now. Um, basically, it's a, manu- a byproduct of manufacturing um, carpets, frying pans, nonstick surfaces, um, firefighting foam. And that's the firefighting foam in the Department of Defense is, that's a big connection because a lot of military air force um, bases and whatnot where they do testing and all sorts of that kind of stuff that I don't fully understand, but they use a lot of firefighting foam. Um, And so a lot of these Department of Defense sites are contaminated with PFAS. Um, So the researchers at the University of Arizona are working to um, develop a new technology that is stronger than um, granular activated carbon, which I believe is the traditional kind of the way that the water industry is removing that now Um, because so the EPA has there's no maximum contaminant level for PFAS they released an action plan a couple weeks ago Um, I think we talked about that in our last episode so probably more than a couple weeks ago now Um, and they plan to set a maximum contaminant level soon but right now their health advisory level is 70 parts per trillion which like for comparison, arsenic, the federal limit is 10 parts per billion. So 70 parts per trillion is like a teeny tiny... Someone actually at a conference I was just at this week described it as two eyedropper drops in 20 Olympic-sized swimming pools. I think that's wow. what he said. Something like that. It was like wow. crazy. Yeah. It's so hard to get down to that level. Wow. Um, and that's just a health advisory, so it's not like legally enforceable or anything. It's just mm. a... So um, I think we're going to see more research like this from the uni- for, well, from universities um, just because it's such a big deal right now. And, you know, we weren't testing for this stuff before, and now we are, and so we're finding it everywhere. So Yeah. And I, just to add on to that, I know that you mentioned, like, the water quality market. Like, mm-hmm. this has been a big deal for the better part of the past two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's – I feel like it's starting to – make its way more into the psyche of water water treatment plant operators too um i think that it's always kind of been there um but maybe not with the same intensity as it has been in the water quality market Um, because i have been seeing more people talking about it in the municipal industry Mm -hmm. than before um so it's definitely it's making its way into a position where because because this water quality market has pushed so much on uh, on it and are bringing it to Congress and everything, mm-hmm. it likely will have an impact on water treatment plants yeah. as well, um, with whether that's EPA standards or limits or what have you. So I think that they're they're definitely much more aware of it now than they were before, purely because mm-hmm. they're like, well, we may have to be dealing with this in yeah. the next within within the next five to ten years. We'll have to have something in place to combat this issue yeah well and that's something too that um the the water quality association they were 
basically, well, what I was going to talk about next also was my <laughs> trip too. <laughs> this is all related. Yeah, this, yeah, this is a good segue. My, so um, March 5th and 6th, I was in Washington, D.C. with the Water Quality Association when they did their D.C. fly-in and the Water Resources Congressional Summit with the National Groundwater Association and the Irrigation Association. Well, that's a mouthful. Lots of associations. <laughs> um but basically, they so the first day of this event, they kind of had speakers and they were talking about the main issues they were going to bring to their lawmakers. Um, and then the second day were the meetings on the Hill. So the um, the talking points for WQA specifically were, were all about PFAS and the new task force and everything. Um, and they basically just wanted to promote to these legislators that the, you know, Historically, WQA and, like, AWWA have kind of been at odds with each other because, mm-hmm. you know, AWWA is the drinking water utility, and WQA is basically, I think, the implication that I think AWWA sees is, like, WQA says your water's not good enough, so we have to mm-hmm. treat it further, but, you know, the utilities are like, this is what yeah. we're doing. But, but <laughs> and, <laughs> that's and not I'm, the reality. Yeah. Well, like, and just to... to I mean, part of the WQA thing is well water. Right. It's like that does ha- yeah. that has no bearing on anything right. AWWA really does. Right. So. so, but so regardless of that, you know, part of the what they were saying at these meetings were was that like we're not the the utilities are doing the best they can right mm-hmm. now because their technology like it doesn't really. I don't know that it doesn't exist. They don't have the money for it. They don't have, you know, the resources to put this in every treatment plant. Yep. So they're doing the best that they can with what they have, but the Water Quality Association and their members and manufacturers and stuff, they have the ability right now to put things in people's homes. They call it the finer bar- final barrier solutions. Mm-hmm. They have the ability to put things in people's homes right now that will take this out. It's all third-party certified equipment that will remove PFAS, and the utilities just cannot do that right now because mm. they don't have the resources for it. Mm-hmm. So that was something that they were really trying to like hit home with these legislators, which was like until an infrastructure funding bill passes or you know we have and until it's a law that we they have mm-hmm. to remove it to a certain level, this is the, these are the solutions that are available and this is what the WQA can provide mm-hmm. for constituents and whatever. Um, so it was really an interesting experience to see this all happen. Um, and one, this is just like a random fun, not fun. I said this before, it's not fun. It's just a random fact that they kept bringing up, which was like shocking to me. Um, there's a documentary on Netflix actually called The Devil We Know, and it's about PFAS. Really? Yeah, I have not watched it yet, but they were talking about it at this event, like, a lot. I think that we should just stop working and then watch Netflix <laughs> yeah. documentary. That's actually, I think, was it WQA? Tomorrow's Friday. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the people from WQA, WQA said that they all watched it, like, as a company. Oh, cool. Um, but one of the things that they mentioned in there, because at, in the planning session for this whole, for these legislative meetings, they were saying they were have a map of like the country and where the PFAS has been found and where the levels limits are set or whatever, because they're saying like, you know, if your lawmaker asks, is this the problem where we live? Yes. Like it's probably a problem everywhere. They're just like finding it in certain pockets of places, but it's pretty much a problem everywhere. And they were saying that in this documentary they mentioned, and I don't remember what exactly it was, but they were trying to do, they were doing blood tests on people with PFAS in their blood 
and they couldn't find a control group because they couldn't find people without PFAS in their oh blood. Oh, my God. So they had to go back to, it was either the Korean War or the Vietnam War, and use wow. blood samples from back then to compare with people's oh blood now. God. Oh, my God. So it's everywhere, guys. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, there are 3,000 different types of PFAS. Oh, my um, God. Right now, like, the big ones are PFOA and PFOS. <clears throat> um, but there are many, many, many different kinds. Wow. Holy cow. So I feel like we've only scratched the surface of the PFAS issue. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, for such pervasion in society, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Yeah, that blood thing really was shocking yeah yeah definitely shocking so anyway the dc experience was really fascinating aside from all the water quality stuff it was just cool to like spend all day in the house of representatives and like go into congressional offices and meet with people and they were all very receptive especially when i was um when someone in the group was like lived in their home district they like really seemed to actually genuinely be interested in what they were talking about and they were like, you know, the people were inviting the lawmakers to their company's barbecues. And, like, it was just, it was really cool to see, like, them actually care a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it kind of goes hand in hand with this this new legislation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right. these these water companies are doing, and associations are doing so much, everything they can mm-hmm. to raise, raise the alarm yeah. mm-hmm. with the government. Yeah. yeah. And this is all leading up to... Um, the first week of April is Water Week in Washington, mm-hmm. and I'll be there with WEMA. But I know that AWWA will be there. WEF will be there as well. Yeah. There's several big associations who will be there. and There's congressional receptions and all sorts of stuff, tons of um, tons of things that people are doing there where they are trying to get eyeballs and getting get right. Congress to lend an ear right. to some issues and stuff. So it, it the fight doesn't end <laughs> with mm-hmm. one with one week and one association. I think that it's, no. it's just really cool it's to see that, not. like, it, it's it's not just the big big name mm-hmm. names right. going to this. This is right. you're you're talking about like even smaller brands within the water quality market are yeah. getting their voices heard, and like that's so valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we've we've stressed that a lot on uh, on this show is get involved with your associations. Mm-hmm. They can be a massive help for you in getting word where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. Like whether whether that's the government or other people. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. Great. Yeah. They're um, doing the best they can. Yeah. <laughs> in other words. Oh, and, and Lauren, you, you also went on a trip. You said oh. that you had a, you went to a women in water event, right? Yeah. So I went to the International Roads Control Association conference and expo in Denver last month, and it was great. And one evening I went to a networking event for the Women of Water Group, which was formerly the Women of IECA. <laughs> and... Um, it was, um, I unfortunately couldn't even stay for, I don't think, more than an hour. But in that time, I learned so much from this group of women about what their experiences have been like working in this industry, which I think is really important. And mm-hmm. they, several women shared the same sentiment of when they first started working in stormwater and erosion control being able to count the other women they knew on one hand. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, it was us in this room, you know? (laughs) So they, they all knew each other and, um, and they all were thrilled at how different it is now. 
mm-hmm. and how much the diversity has grown and um, how many more women are in the industry now in particular. Um, it's something that I've been enjoying um, seeing and hearing about. Um, and there's young women entering the industry. Mm-hmm. So um, there's um, a new generation entering. Um, and I think that probably this is a trend I mean, I hope that we'll see in other parts of the water industry too, mm-hmm. but it's definitely been a big concern for a lot of parts of the water industry, mm-hmm. um, the succession planning, but mm-hmm. also how do we diversify? Yeah. Um, so yeah. it was really great to hear about that, and um, this group will be actually offering more resources to women in the industry, and I'm, and I'm will be happy to to work with them or connect to anybody who's looking for it. Cool. And for our interview this month, um, we talked to Glenn Wachorek at Surumi America. Um, (laughs) So Surumi does a ton of pump installations for um, commercial and industrial applications. So we talked to him about... um, things going on in that arena when it comes to pumps and how how those kind how those like applications basically are looking at things from a one water perspective or trying to recover resources and uh, reuse them as well. So here is our interview with Glenn. So we're here with Glenn Wachorek, he's the managing director for Surumi America, as well as Mike Climes, the engineering director for Surumi America. Um, Surumi works in both North and South America, and they've done a lot of things with commercial systems. And um, we wanted to talk to them a little bit more about that. So, Glenn, um, we had discussed this kind of a little bit before, actually. What are some of the trends that you are seeing in those commercial systems when it comes to kind of the water systems and the, the approach that people are taking? Yeah, what we're seeing is we're seeing uh, added demand that uh, we haven't necessarily seen in the past from commercial uh, entities that are starting to be, for lack of a better term, taxed by their municipalities to handle some of their wastewater streams. So, you know, what the attitude is is that municipalities are looking at, obviously, always ways to, to increase their revenue. And they're looking at the wastewater that is being created by some of the commercial entities in their municipality. And they're going to them and saying, you know, you have to pick up your cost on delivering the wastewater that you're putting into the system. Um, And how are some of these commercial systems adopting a one-water mentality? Well, I think think rather than our uh, systems adopting a one-water mentality, I think what you're seeing is that a lot of these companies... Uh, you know, we deal with a wide spectrum of types of companies. So we do deal with municipalities. We do deal with commercial entities and manufacturers. We also deal with mining as well. And a lot of times, these companies are they're taking their water, their wastewater. They're paying to process it so that they can put it into the uh, the waste system that's uh, created by the municipality, or they're, they're cleaning the water so that they can dispose of it. And then at, at some point, they say, well, why, and rather than dispose of it, we might as well reuse that water in some of our other systems. So we're seeing more and more of that, that they're coming to us for help and saying, how is it that you can help us 
create the system where we're taking the water, we're cleaning it, and then reclaiming it for our own use. Gotcha. And so in what ways are um, commercial systems and municipalities addressing rainwater and graywater reuse? Um, I know that in Chicago, for instance, you can get rain barrels, but what about those commercial systems as well? So just as uh, Glenn was mentioning, you know, water is a scarce resource in many areas of the country. And, uh, you know, where they're reclaiming and cleaning that water, uh, they're using the rainwater as well, claiming that, recleaning it, and using it for their processes. Yeah, I think as for, for an example, again, I mentioned that we do deal with mining. You know, mining, that's a big, that's a big area, or surface area. So as it rains, a lot of that water is just going to, be, going to go to waste. They're collecting more and more of that. So if you can imagine, say, out in, out in the middle of nowhere, there's a mine and they can use the rainwater rather than paying to have tie into the municipality in using lots of water from there. So, again, I think what, what people are doing, what uh, companies are doing is they're being creative in how to collect the water and how to reuse that water so they're not having to, A, pay for it, and then, B, pay for the uh cleaning up the waste. And what do you see for the future of these systems, either in the types of technology that is available or in the way that people, municipalities, commercial systems use it? We're seeing uh, more demand for small-scale localized treatment plants versus uh, these commercial companies uh, dropping everything down the drain and letting the municipalities deal with it. Um, So a lot of the smaller-scale equipment is in higher demand, small-scale bar screens, aeration, mach- uh, aeration equipment, and so on. And traditionally, when you look at this industry, is manufacturers have been catering to the municipalities. So, for instance, you might have a 20-foot bar screen that's being used by a municipality to, uh, to clean out some of the, the waste stream that's coming through. Well, for a commercial entity, they're never going to be able to use that 20-foot bar screen. You know, same thing with aeration equipment. They may need aeration equipment. We have several breweries that we work with, um, and they need to use uh, aeration equipment, and they can't use the, the big infrastructure facilities or, or uh, uh, products that are manufactured by most manufacturers. So there's this kind of a new niche, if you want to call it that, for wastewater equipment, as Mike mentioned, that's on a smaller scale than what you'd see in, uh, for a municipality. And from that standpoint, are there certain industries that you're seeing as kind of starting to look more toward their water use and try and trying to drive this kind of um, thought process when they're looking at their water use? Well, I think a couple that we already mentioned. You know, the mining industry is um, is doing that. They're looking at their their water usage. Breweries is another area that um, you know what's happening there is you have sometimes like we have one uh, brewery that they're located in a smaller uh, town, and they came into town and all of a sudden the municipality saw their waste stream go way up, and the expense of handling that waste stream went way up. So they did some investigation and they found out that it was actually coming from this brewery. So they went to the brewery and they said, listen, you're going to have to start to pay X amount of money to handle this because it's not fair to the rest of the uh, 
of the city that they have to pay for your waste stream. So what they did in that particular case is they looked at the expense of of having to do that with the municipality, and they uh, did some analysis and determined that they could actually save money by pre-treating their waste stream themselves rather than just dumping it into uh, the situation. And I think that uh, Mike has some ex has an experience here in in our local that they had a uh, somebody that moved in that did the same thing. Yeah, so it was a food processing facility that uh, recently moved into our uh, one of the suburbs in our area, and the uh, municipality saw a greater influx of fats, oils, and greases in their waste stream, and they didn't take them long to attribute that to this food processing company uh, moving into the area. So they went back to them and said, hey, you're going to have to pre-treat your, your waste uh, water stream before it goes into the municipality or pay heavy tax on it. Yeah. And in some cases, what we have found, again, in the case of breweries, is that as they, they were able to take out the solids that was organic, so they're able to take those solids out of the water, now they're able to put the water down in the waste, uh, in the municipality waste system, and then they were able to take the solids that they collected from that and sell that as fertilizer. So for them, it was kind of a win-win situation. Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. I know that municipal plants tend to do that more biosolid type of thing when they can, um, and it can be really helpful for that bottom line. But to hear that it's being done for um, for a brewery, a commercial facility, that's actually really interesting too. So. Yeah, and, and you know, dealing again with some of the brewer brewing uh, companies is that they want to be good neighbors. So they inherently are looking for ways to to clean it up many times before the city is even coming to them to say, hey, you need to clean up your water. They're looking for ways to do it as a, a good citizen. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Glenn and Mike, uh, for talking to us today. We really appreciate your time, and um, thanks again. So thank you, Glenn, for uh, taking the time with us um, to talk and just kind of tell us a little bit about that, that area of the industry. Um, before we close out, we wanted to have a little bit of housekeeping like we always do. Um, for me, I wanted to reiterate the Water Week in Washington the first week of April. I will be there with um, WEMA, and I'll be doing Facebook Live Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday that week on the Water and Waste Digest Facebook page. So if you want to see a little bit more about what goes on there and hear from members of WEMA about what they encountered throughout the day, um, check those out for sure. Um, after we have them posted on Facebook, we will also download them and post them on Twitter um, as well as our LinkedIn company pages as well. So uh, be sure to tune into that. Cool. Well, um, also, if you are in the stormwater world, be sure to attend our free webinar fest, which is April 23rd to 25th. Um, this will be our spring event, and then we'll hold another one in the fall. Um, but we have a great lineup, and registration is now open. So please come join us and get your PDH credits for free. And where can people go to register? Oh, great question. <laughs> SWSWebinarFest.com. Awesome. Cool. Cool. And, well... <laughs> Cheers, Amy. Cheers, Thanks, Cheers guys. to Amy. Thanks, guys. Yay. All right, talk to you guys next month. Bye. 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 <laughs>
Thank you.